Welcome to Presence Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit PresenceOC.org. I don't know if I want the pulpit. I might not use this, but hey, look, I used it. There we go. Thanks, Tim. So those of you who haven't seen my book, there it is, God Made Men. Um, People keep asking me, you know, how did it start, why you got into it, and I'm going to just real quickly, I was sitting there and I was thinking about this. I said, you know, what's funny is about a year and a half ago, I almost died in a motorcycle accident. And uh, that was the first time I got to speak here because the following week, I was sitting right there where this guy got healed, literally in that seat. And Chris goes, I feel like somebody's got a word for the church. Now, I don't know. I've never been in any church where anybody has ever done that before. And before coming, God said, you're going to speak at church today. And we'd only been at this church for like a couple of weeks. So it wasn't even, you know, this shouldn't have happened. But you know, what's funny is... uh, I almost died without releasing this to the world. I wrote this after that, not immediately, but after that. And so the reason why I wrote this book is because I went on a journey of pain, really. It's painful when you find out that you are not the person that other people think you are. (laughs) I didn't mean to jump right in. I guess I kind of am. I'm going to leave it out as a cliffhanger then because I want to get around to that. But that was where this came out of. And the subtitle is, It's the Destiny of Every Man to Be a Great Leader, Husband, and Father. I specifically directed it at Christian men. But the, the, the point is the same for everybody, is that it's our destiny to be great. It's our destiny for greatness. Yeah. Uh, so the message this morning is about um, being yielded to God. <laughs> it's funny that she mentioned Heidi's YouTube video because, wow. I don't hear that that often. So I, I thought I would start <clears throat> with the, a funny point of scripture because it's hilarious and I like to laugh. And I have a feeling I'm going to do a lot of crying today, so... Uh. <laughs> I'll just paraphrase it. It'll be easier. How many of you have read the book of Numbers recently? <laughs> I didn't think so. <laughs> I didn't think so. You know, it's interesting. In the book of Numbers, there's, a, there's an amazing story of a donkey that spoke. Now, I'm not saying that I'm a donkey that's speaking, so don't, don't get me, don't get it twisted. So there's a story of Balaam, who was a prophet, and he's being requested to come and curse the enemy of Balak. Balak? Balak? I don't know how to... Anyways. Nobody really knows how to pronounce Bible words, right? So he decides to go after much prompting, back and forth with people. It's a long story to say that he finally decides to go. And on his way, there's an angel that stands with a sword in front of him, and the donkey sees the angel, and it goes, whoa, I'm not going over there, and starts going this direction. And he's riding this donkey, and he's like, come on, get back over. The donkey's like, nope, you don't want to go over there. So he's beating the donkey and beating the donkey, and the angel gets in front of the donkey again. And the donkey's like, whoa, and he backs up, backs into a corner against a wall. There's walls all around him, and he's backed into the corner like this, and and Balaam's like beating the donkey. He's like, what the heck is going on here? The donkey finally sits on Balaam. Somehow he got Balaam on the ground. It sits on top of Balaam. And uh, he beats the donkey again. The donkey, the donkey says, why are you hitting me? <laughs> Balaam's like, I, I don't know why he wasn't more surprised that his donkey spoke to him. Because he actually answered the donkey. <laughs> he said, if I had a sword, I would have killed you. You're my beast. You do what I tell you to do. Then the angel was revealed to Balaam. And the angel said, had that donkey not turned away, I would have killed you. (laughs) Crazy. 
The reason why I say that is that this story is I was here during worship and it just prompted in my spirit that oftentimes we are doing things that we think are right. God actually told Balaam to go. Balaam said, hey, should I go? And God said, yes. And then God said, no. There was a change that happened. And it was to make a point to, to um, Balaam to only say what I tell you to say. Man, that one got me, chicken skin. <laughs> this was not part of my message, but it is part of my message in this way. My wife and I have been doing worship ministry for a long time. We've been worship pastors for, oh my gosh, I don't know. We've married 17 years, and I was worship pastor before I met her. So we've been worshiping together for a long time. And the, the one thing that I notice between a worship session like today, right, where we, how many people felt the spirit moving, right, during worship today? I mean, I did. I was crying on the ground. And maybe another worship service where it's beautiful and the music sounds good and, you know, and it was, it was good, but not that, right? The difference I often find is being yielded to the spirit. In fact, I'll tell another little quick story about this. I was asked to come do worship for a junior high group, <clears throat> about 100 kids. And so I got out my electric guitar because, you know, they're junior high kids. You got to rock, Right? And uh, I got all the popular rockin' worship songs of the day and put them in my list. <clears throat> and I get there, and I'm trying to set up, and God wants me to, I, and I wish I knew the, remembered the song, but it was a very old, slow, quiet song. He wanted me to play it in my list. I said, oh, okay, okay, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll put it at the end of the list. All right, all right. Because, you know, I, by then I know how to be yielded. All right. So I go to play, no joke, and some of you have heard me play. I, I play all right. And I go to play, and the note doesn't come out. Just a regular chord, plain old chord, and it just... I mean, it was, it was completely off. Well, that's weird. Check the tuning. Tuning is completely in tune. Okay, let's try again. Nothing. Nothing. So instantly, God said, I told you what song to play. So I did, and I apologized to everybody. I said, I gotta apologize. God told me what song to play, and I thought you guys wouldn't like it, so I chose something else. But he won't let me play anything else, so we're gonna play that until he says play something else. <laughs> and for the next 35 minutes in a junior high group that doesn't understand, it's the type of church where they don't, aren't used to you know, kingdom revelation in that, in that capacity, they, they were all out, all 11, 10, 12, 13-year-olds laying down face down for a half an hour with an old folk song. But see, that's the power of being yielded. When I thought about what to preach about today, I had lots of really good ideas, but I really wanted the God idea what did he want me to say today to you guys? So I thought I'd start with scripture, so this is a legal preach. I don't know, I heard that somewhere. I thought it was good. Um, you guys can turn with me if you want to. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is the love chapter. Uh, we usually get into love is patient, love is kind, all that stuff in verse 4. But we're actually going to start just a little before that in verse number 1. Because it has some bearing on what I want to talk about. Just give me a little something. Let me know when you're there. All right, amen. And I like interaction, by the way. So feel free. All right, there's my girl. Sano's representing. Okay. Chapter 13, verse 1, if I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and know all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing 
And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and I deliver my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. (laughs) Just let that sink in for a bit. If you had said you're the person that did that other stuff, right? I prophesy, I spoke to the mountain, it was cast into the sea, you know, and then you died as a martyr. I mean, people would think you were a pretty good person. Surely, surely they went to heaven. But if you have not love, there's nothing. In 1 John, he says, if you don't love, then you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. You don't even know God. It's crazy. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about myself. I'm gonna pause there and tell you about myself. I was saved 36 years ago. I was four years old in a tiny little church in Vista, California called Vista Christian Fellowship upstairs on the postal way. And I remember it as vividly as I'm staring at you guys today. I don't remember anything else about Sunday school. I don't remember what we learned. I don't remember who was there. I don't remember anything else about that church uh, Sunday school. I happen to know the church because it's pertinent to the later part of my story. But that moment, I know nothing else about. But I remember when the youth leader said, who wants Jesus? My sister and I bolted to the front. We bolted. God, I want to cry. There is no greater joy than receiving Jesus. The problem is, is that we have fear and we have pride and we have all these other things that keeps us locked in believing things that aren't true. It's true. That's true. Man. So from that point forward, um, I spent a lot of time in church. Uh, I, I preached the gospel wherever I went. Um, I, I kids in my school, kids on my soccer team, I would lead to Jesus. Um, I remember being at the Firefall Conference in 1993 at the Anaheim Vineyard over here. And the, the Spirit of God came on me so much that I laughed for about two days straight. That's true. And I've been smiling ever since. Anybody who knows me, right? My stomach muscles hurt from laughing so much. My jaw was like tired. I laughed so much. My dad even got angry at me for laughing. Shut up! (laughs) Which made me laugh. (laughs) Uh, Wow, that was a cool time. I remember another time I was down in Brownsville Assembly of God... And it was, I, I really wanted to be slain in the spirit I, my whole life. I was like, oh, can I please see if this thing is real? Is Benny pushing people over or is this thing real? So I was at the Brownsville Assembly of God. I had just come back to Jesus. I actually fell away for about six months. I always loved Jesus, but you know, I was doing teenage stuff. And uh, I'll never forget, Rodney Howard Brown came by and just touched me on the head as he walked, and I fell to the ground. Now, nothing happened. I didn't get any big words from God. I didn't have, nothing happened. I literally laid on the floor and tried to get up for the rest of the service. (laughs) Right in the front. Rodney kept stepping over me like this. I was out. My stepmom said, she goes, you look like a fish trying to get up off the floor, you know? I, just, I kept trying to get up off the floor because God wasn't saying anything to me. I wasn't having any, like, heart movements, nothing. But I was pinned to the floor, and God said, you're not moving until I let you. Right? From then, I, I started to go around the world and, and preach. I preached, uh, I preached with my, my actions. One of my favorite stories is about St. Francis of Assisi. He had a, I don't know the levels of, I don't know. I don't even know how to say what I'm trying to say. He had a dude that went with him, and he took him around, around the city. He says, come on, we're going to go preach the gospel. And so they walk around the city, and uh, somebody needed some help, and so they helped him with this, and then they, they walk around, and they, they do this all day long where they're helping people, just kind of like walking around the city, finding people to help. And they get back, and his apprentice says to him, he goes, I thought we were going to go preach. And he says, preach the gospel wherever you go, and when necessary, use words. One of my favorite stories. 
Because we know that our body language speaks of volumes more than our words do, right? How many people have been, uh, had their words taken wrong on Facebook, right? There's no body language. We try to use emojis. <laughs> this is what I mean, but even that can look weird. I always thought it was chocolate ice cream. I, I was putting it all over the place, and people were, people were yelling at me. I was like, I had no idea what, what that emoji was all about until <laughs> recently. Whoops. And so if you got a chocolate ice cream emoji, I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought I was giving you something sweet. <laughs> uh, I remember in Thailand, I went to a village where um, they had never seen a white person before. And I was standing up on the back of a pickup truck. I had a shaved head, so it looked very similar to what I do now. It was, you know, again, I had a, a white T-shirt on, and at the time, I could bench press 500 pounds, so I was big, you know, I was a big monster of a man. I'm standing up on the back of the pickup truck, riding into this village, where they'd never seen a white guy before, and they see me as the first white person. Amazing. We were there to um, help them get water. They had water that was a long ways away, and we were laying about a mile of piping to get the water from that location to their village. We were just there to help them. And the village elder, um, he had one eye that was milky white. Have you ever seen that where the, the eye itself, the pupil and, and the iris is all milky white? He couldn't see out of it. It was um, his left eye. And so we said, hey, let's pray for you. So I laid my hand on his face and I said, be healed in Jesus' name. When I took my hand off, crystal blue, he could see. Now his other eye was brown, but this one was crystal blue. And he could see. The entire village got saved. Isn't that amazing? Later on, I went, uh, took teams with, uh, with Bethel before the Supernatural School of Ministry was called BSSM. They just called it the Supernatural School of Ministry back then. And uh, Bobby and I were down in Mexico. And I don't know what happened. It was a, it was a miracle. But, you know, Bobby commanded the, the clouds to break. And we had this circle of no rain around us. And it was raining everywhere else really hard. But around us, it wasn't raining at all. What's amazing about that is the only place to get out of the rain was right where we were preaching. So everyone who was like, oh, we're gonna, hey, no, it's not raining right here. So they came around where it wasn't raining. So we had forced all these people around us, drug addicts, people were drunk, there were prostitutes. I mean, we were in the, the rough part of Tijuana. I prayed for two people who were deaf, and they got healed. I laid my hands on a man who was so high, he might have been a kite. <clears throat> he was instantly sober and received Jesus. Amazing. On another one of the Mexico trips, we were down there. This is a really cool story. I love this story. You guys don't mind if I tell some stories? Okay. I love this story. So we get down to the, one of these churches, and, you know, churches in, in Mexico, certainly in rural Mexico, often look like the only building in the place that's not a tent, and leaders are whomever they can find that love Jesus, pretty much, right? So this young girl, she was probably 14 or 15 years old, she was the youth pastor of this church, and she had, you know, four or five kids and, and little kids, and she was such a sweetheart. So we said, hey, can we pray for you? She says, sure, in Spanish. And... Um, so we started praying for her in English, and we were praying for her, and oh, man, it was powerful. Whew. And then um, she asked in Spanish if she could pray for us. We said, sure. So she starts praying for us, but she prayed in English. It was amazing. It was all in English. I was like, wow. So afterwards, we were like, that's amazing. We didn't know you spoke English. And she was like, no, no entiendo nada. I don't, I don't, speak, in, I don't speak English. And she's like, your Spanish was perfect. She heard us in Spanish. And we heard her in English. Right? Come on. I can go on and on with stories like this, just like Pastor Chris can and, you know, and Nicole and, and you know, any, probably any number of you out here. I, I know this man here, he's got some stories. What's funny is we started this with a scripture about how you can do amazing things for the kingdom, but if you have not love, it's nothing. So when the rubber met the road and I was stressed out, financially burdened, I had three kids at the time and my, my beautiful wife, and we were, we were struggling to make ends meet, I was a failure. I was an utter failure. Failure. 
I crushed my children's spirit with my anger. I uh, told my wife I didn't love her by my lack of attention to her. Now look, I like to be a little, you know, strong on myself in this regard because it's worth it. I was a good guy. People liked me. I was the worship pastor at my church at the time. But somehow, my wife didn't feel like she was valuable. Now, you've seen my wife, some of you. And if you haven't, the rest of you find her. She's pretty hot. (laughs) For a guy to think their wife is hot, that's valuable. Aside from that, she's probably the most beautiful soul you'll ever meet in your entire life. She loves people so well. In fact, God told me that I would marry the most beautiful woman in the universe. That's true. That was prophesied right over here at Vanguard in the parking lot um, right after Soul Survivor when it came over from England. That's Matt Redman and Mike Pilavachi. Man, and yet, I let the stresses of the world beat me down so much that when I would get home, I would take it out on my family by ignoring them. That's a big one. By letting my wife take care of me. That's lame. My kids would run up to me, Daddy, Daddy. They still do, don't they? They come up, Daddy's home, Daddy's home. They'd run up to me, and inside I'm like, oh, just leave me alone. I just want to go and sit down and just give me, okay, fine, yes, okay. Are you kidding me? My kids are like loving on me like crazy. How did I feel it that way? And here's the thing. Even though I was, my life was marked by Jesus, I mean, clearly my life was marked by Jesus. I was saved at four years old. I traveled the world. I preached the gospel. I led nations to Jesus. I prayed for the sick and they recovered. I even met a dead guy once. He's alive now. Okay? All of that for nothing if I destroy my family. And I don't mean this to bring anybody down because it's not our fault. It wasn't my fault either. You see, I learned how to be me by my mom and my dad and my coaches and my churches and the TV and the media and the things around us and the other men that I saw. That's how I learned how to behave. Look, my dad was an agnostic when I was born. He didn't know Jesus. He came to Jesus about the same time I did. My mom too. She came to Jesus about the same time too. She was raised new age. What do we know? What did they know? They had no idea. They weren't, they weren't yielded to God. They had no idea. They did their very best. Are you kidding me? And on the outside, I was a really good person. They taught me how to behave well. They taught me how to do well. They taught me how to care for other people. They taught me how to serve. They taught me the best that they can. They did their best. The churches I was in, man, I can't tell you how many times I've heard about preaching. Make sure, you, you know, your, your, your Bible is with you at all times. I even at one point, I had, I had a little mini Bible. I put it on a chain, and I put it in my back pocket like a biker. Boom, not a wallet. Tricked you. <clears throat> yep. You see, the world makes us. We make us. We make decisions. The problem is that most of our decisions are made by fear. Any decision that's not in, made in love is made in fear, period. There's no in-between. Say it one more time. Any decision that's not made in love is made in fear. And then just in case anybody finds out that we're afraid, we cover it with pride. And then we take a nice pretty blanket and we put that over the top and we hide it with scriptures all over that prove how we're behaving. I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go here. He gave me the mic. Just remember that. (laughs) We just went through Ephesians. We just went through Ephesians. And Pastor Nicole, let me just tell you, you are amazing. What you taught about in Ephesians rocked me. Okay? Chris too. But anyways, 
There's a scripture here that freaks me out when I read it because it's taught usually from a place of fear and it's covered by pride. And I'm going to uncover it right now, if that's all right. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Good little wives. For the husband is the head of the wife. Hallelujah. As Christ is also the head of church. We'll just keep that one down, though. He himself, God, being Jesus, being the Savior of the body. But as a church is subject to Christ, also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Hallelujah. That's it. Subservient women. Thank you, Jesus. Does that sound like love to anybody in this room? If it doesn't sound like love, then what is it? Fear. It's fear. When we're married, we're one flesh. She is me and I am her. The, the mystery of that scripture is not in being a servant. It's in being one flesh with Jesus Christ. That scripture has nothing to do with how we're supposed to behave in a marriage relationship. It's either fear or love. There's no in between. I didn't mean to get so loud, buddy. Sorry. I'm waking the baby. He's just praying. Amen. So I operated from a place of fear in my home. I was afraid she would find me out. I was afraid that my wife would find out that I wasn't good enough. I was afraid she'd find out that I didn't have what it takes to be a good husband. I was afraid that she would find out that I was actually a loser and she should probably go find somebody else. All lies. And that's what I believed. It was fear. And I covered it with my pride. I'm the head of the household. Make me something to eat. I never really said that because I was a good man. I was raised by my mom and my sister, and I'm used to having women in authority over me, and then my sister's older than me. I'm used to that. So I was a good husband. I never would say that. But down inside, I was like, what the heck? This great man of God who traveled the world doing miracles couldn't even be Jesus in his own home. I venture to guess I'm not the only one. Because I heard that in California, the divorce rate is 70%. It's a lot better if we include the other states. It's closer to 50%. And in the church, it's actually worse. 85% of all divorces are initiated by the woman. And not for infidelity. In fact, it's usually the woman who's going to find something else. I, again, I didn't mean to come here. But the point of what I'm talking about, the point of what I'm talking about is living a yielded life. The good news is I sorted it out. Didn't I, Glory? My girl. She was about three and a half years old. I was putting her to bed. She hugged me, kissed me. I love my new daddy. Do you remember this? It's in the book. I don't know if I can get through it. She said, I love my new daddy. I said, your new daddy? She said, yeah, my happy daddy. Which was beautiful and sad at the same moment. The beautiful part is I had fixed it. I had broken through. I had let God finally make me. I had learned what it means to be yielded to God in every area of your life. It's really simple, and I'm going to teach you how to do it because I can't leave you hanging here. I've got to teach you how to do it. I might die before, you know, anybody reads this book, and I need to make sure that I teach you how to be yielded to God. 
in case we need any more benefits than that, uh, I'll just tell you. Abraham, God said, I will make you. I will make you a great nation. I will make you fruitful. I will make your descendants after you fruitful. Abraham could not have done it on his own. In fact, just right after that, he screws up bad. He almost lost his wife, the woman in whom his child was going to come that was prophesied. To Pharaoh. Obviously, she was hot too. <laughs> Another one is David. David should give us all hope. How many people feel hope when they hear about King David, right? I, I do, for sure. Here's a guy who's considered a man after God's own heart. And that was told to Saul when Saul finally blew it, which was most of the time. He was told, someone's going to come after you. He's already been anointed. He's a man after my own heart. And that was David as a kid. Had been anointed. Well, the man after God's own heart was seduced. He was king at this point. He had suffered in the wilderness and spent a long time trying to do the will of God. He's in the, in the palace. He's comfortable. He's happy. And he goes out on his balcony, and there's a woman bathing over there on the roof, which... I don't know if that's custom or not. Seems like a rough place to be bathing on the roof. I'm just saying. Anywho, he sees this woman. He's like, all right, bring her over here. She was already married. They went, you know, they did woohoo. Made a baby. So he's like, uh-oh. All right, we got we to gotta kill her husband. That's the only way to do this thing who was a great leader in the army. He was a, an amazing asset for David. And David betrayed him, sent him to the front lines to die. <clears throat> he, was die he, he died, and then David did the right thing and helped this poor widow, brought her into the house. But here's the story that I love about that. The prophet Nathan came to David, and he said told him a story about a man who had many flocks and many sheep, and, and he was a wealthy man. And he had a neighbor who had a few sheep, had one precious lamb that he loved. And the, the wealthy man had some people coming over to visit, and he goes, oh, we must slaughter a lamb and have a feast. And so he steals the sheep from the poor neighbor, slaughters that lamb, and makes a feast for his neighbors. David's outraged at the story. That man should be killed. Nathan said, you're that man. And here's the part that marks somebody who's yielded. It's not that they don't screw up. He tore his clothes. He got down on his face. He, and he said, then I should also lose my life. He was willing. He was yielded to God. What is God going to do? Whatever God wills, that's what will happen to me. If I lose it all and die, then I lose it all and die. That was a horrific thing that I did. He was repentant. Fortunately, God said, no, we don't require your life. Restored him. The baby did die, and that was God took the baby. But you know what's funny? God loves redemption. And here's what else marks someone who's yielded by God. The baby between David and Bathsheba, that was a woman's name, Bathsheba, that came after that is Solomon, King Solomon, who was born out of repentance, who was born out of a place of being yielded to God. From that moment forward, David was a different man. So he had 12 children, or 13. It's in the book, I don't know. A bunch of children, I did research. But some of his early children, they're the ones that tried to overthrow his throne. One of his, one of his sons 
raped his stepsister, I think it was, Tamar. I mean, obviously, he wasn't that good of a dad early on, right? He was a man of war. God said, you can't build my house, right? David wanted to build a house for God. He said, no, you can't build my house. There's blood on your hands. And I don't know if it was about the war or if it was about this deal with Uriah, but whatever it was, he wasn't allowed to do it. Solomon, who came after repentance, after David had learned how to be yielded to him, that's that's who got to build the house of God. God doesn't really, I hate to say, just let me say this and don't judge me, but God doesn't care about the stuff that you do. Good or bad, by the way. You see, God doesn't see you the way that you created you. He sees you the way that he created you. Ecclesiastes 9, 6, it says, Go therefore, eat your bread with happiness, and drink your wine with a cheerful heart, for God has already approved your works. At the time I read that, I thought to myself, how could God approve of my works when I don't even approve of my works? When it finally clicked about this right here, that he sees me how he created me. Perfect. Now I'm covered with Jesus' blood. I'm perfect. Even when I screw up, I'm still perfect. Because the wages of sin are death, and that has been paid. That has been paid. My job is to yield to him. Yield to his world. Yield, yield to his presence. It's, and, and here it is. I'm going to teach you real quick how to do this. It's really easy. You know that scripture that talks about judging the fruits? We use this a lot to judge other ministries. It's really about judging your own fruit. That's it. The fruit of my life was that I, I wasn't championing my family. I was keeping them down. I was angry. I was harsh. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. We go down the list. I wasn't any of those things. I wasn't patient. I wasn't kind. I wasn't gentle. I mean, mostly. I fed homeless people, so I was kind. Love believes all things, loves bears all things, loves hopes all things. It bears all things. As a dad, kids, kids, you kids are amazing. And you're full of energy. And even though I'm a high energy guy, they can out energy me. And I got four kids. So when my kids get going, they get going. <laughs> It's, a, it's just a circle of energy just going and going and going and going. And sometimes it's like, I just need some peace. So I'm going to... This is what God does when he's angry. Wow. Fear or love, right? Fear or love. I used to think it was my job to represent God the Father to my children. What I discovered was it's my job to represent what it looks like to be a son. It takes all the pressure off. When my son messes up, and I got three of them, so it happens often, they should be able to come to me without fear. The only way that happens is if I have proven to them that I love them. Fortunately, most children will forgive in the batting of an eye. My kids wouldn't even remember any of this stuff if I didn't bring it up. I only bring it up for other people's benefit because I hate it. Who likes to talk about how they screwed up? Raise your hand. <laughs> oh. So how to be yielded. Test your fruit. Test your fruit. When somebody cuts you off in freeway, on the freeway, what's your initial reaction? It should be, man, they're in a hurry. That's an easy one, right? 
That person at work is throwing you under the bus with your boss. You should think, man, they are really afraid to lose their job. Right? Your boss is grinding on you. More sales, more sales. He's afraid he's going to lose his job. The shareholders are going to get mad. It's all fear, man. Fear or love. And if we can have compassion on other people's fear, which we have to have compassion on our own fear first, by the way. But if we can have compassion on other people's fear and how they behave, then we can respond in love. Test your fruits. I got all other scriptures I was going to read, but I don't think I'm going there. This, we're, we're wrapping this baby up because we got to start praying. I'm going to continue in uh, 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to read, the, we're going to read what love is. Chapter, verse 4. Love is patient. Uh, if patience is a problem for you, it's okay. Repent. Love is kind. It's not jealous. I was surprised by how many people suffer with jealousy. I am not a jealous guy. But apparently this is a big deal. It's true. If you're jealous, it's fear. Straight up. Love does not brag. And it's not arrogant. I'm perfect. I don't have to worry about that one. (laughs) Love does not act unbecomingly. That was probably mine. I don't really know what that means, other than I was unbecoming to my family. I was a rhinoceros. Big and scary. It does not seek its own. It's funny about that. In helping others, you help yourself. They've proven that happiness comes by helping other people. Proven it. Proven fact. They did this crazy study where they sent out a bunch of college kids and said, go make yourselves happy this weekend. Come back and take this test. They did a baseline test first. They come back from the test and they were partying and, and, you know, debaucheries of plenty. And they came back and they actually were less happy so the following week, they said, go out and do something randomly kind for somebody. And they came back. Oh, I bought somebody a cup of coffee. I'm a good person. I held the door open for somebody. I helped somebody in a wheelchair get, you know, across the street or whatever. I don't know. And their happiness went up. Pastor Chris likes to talk about this, being other-centered, How many people want joy in their life? Other-centered, right? How many people want to feel love? Other-centered, right? We're not done yet. Love does not seek its own. It is not provoked. My gosh, my wife would provoke me. Nope, my fear would provoke me. Does not take into account wrongs suffered. But you don't understand. I was born at a disadvantage. We were poor. You know, you don't you don't realize what it's like to be a poor person. If you knew, then you'd understand. We can get into this. If you want to, I know that that one struck a chord with people, but I was poor when I was a kid, so I understand, okay? We could talk about social whatevers and blah, 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 fear, 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 fear. We are new creation in Christ Jesus. All things have passed away. All things have been made new. You are now born into a royal priesthood. You are joint seated with Christ in the heavenlies. What's your excuse? Fear or love? Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. It's really easy. Test your fruit. 
It's really easy. Just test your fruit. And we know. We don't have to ask anybody else's opinion. We know. Come on. We know. We know where we're scared. We know where it hurts. When you're in that moment all alone and you're looking at porn and you're thinking, God, I hope nobody finds out. I talked to a guy this week. He had a plan. If anybody ever found out, he was in the church. If anybody ever found out he looked at porn, he was going to kill himself. That was his, that was his out. Shame on us. The church creates this environment of perfection. I mean, look at all these perfect people up here. Tim, you're a perfect guy. You stand up here and you worship like this and you're a perfect guy. If you talk to him for a half a second, he'll reveal himself to you. Meaning he knows that he's not a perfect guy. Not that you'll find out. I'm just saying that he knows. He doesn't pretend to be perfect is my point. But if you don't know, you see a guy, he sits in the front row every week and he, he worships like his heart's on fire. And you think, oh, one day I'll be like Tim. We're not perfect. It's about yielding. I only do and say what I see and hear my father saying. Not my will, Lord, but your will be done. And just do it one at a time. Get rid of the anger monkey. That's an easy one if you're an extrovert. If you're an introvert, it might look like something else. Test your fruits. Do I hide when things get tough? I think we need to pray. I think we need to pray. Because if this church, all these people in here, were yielded to God's presence in their life, then when we go and we move mountains and we, we pray for the sick and we preach the gospel, not only will people's lives be changed externally, but we're going to create little fires everywhere we go. And when this world is on fire, look out. Smith Wigglesworth used to say, I just go on a hill, light myself on fire, and people come and watch me burn. There's no secret to witnessing. There's no secret to being everything that we want to be. Our call is to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, preach the gospel, right? Go into all the world to make disciples. That's our job description. And it's not either or. It's and. But remember, preach the gospel everywhere you go. And when necessary, use words. It's sometimes better to be Jesus than preach Jesus. And that's what I'm talking about. As we yield to his presence and we let Jesus make us and we become God-made instead of self-made. Now we're open to the kingdom, the upside kingdom, the things that don't make sense. Jesus. If you're lacking peace, the prince of peace is Jesus. If you're lacking peace, it's because of fear. I'm afraid I'm not going to have enough money to pay the bills. Fear. And it feels like, oh, well, you don't understand. There's this, there's that. I, I, no, I do understand. I do understand. Let's just yield and see what happens. What's the worst thing that happens? Your family loves you. Huh. If you're married, then you have a little extra because it's not just you. There's two of you, right? If you have kids, now there's three or four, or in our case, six. We met somebody that was one of 12, so in their case, 14. <clears throat> how, many, how many kids did that couple down in Florida have? 18 or something like that? 17 kids? <laughs> how important is it to get it right? Let's get it right. Um, I guess ministry team, I don't really know what to do next here other than I want to pray for people. Uh, I'll just pray for anybody who wants, who feels like they want whatever I caught. I don't know. Sometimes these things can't be taught. They have to be caught. It's just kind of how it is. God calls us to be fishers of men. That's all of us. Woe men included. Right? 
So I'm just, I don't know, I'll pray for people and we'll have, maybe we get the ministry team up here and do some stuff. Yeah, could we just honor Ryan? We're gonna, um, awesome. Jesus. Wow. It's awesome. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for opening your life. There's just such a strong uh, grace here for freedom, for deliverance, from patterns, from fear, all that kind of stuff. Um, we're gonna have the ministry team come up. You guys will just come and line up. Ryan's gonna be here too, uh, just laying hands on folks and stuff. Uh, I might need somebody to be near Ryan to help pastor some of the stuff going on. If you guys would help, just kind of be around Ryan. Um, I'll let you pray over everybody. And, and I, I do have some books in the back, so don't leave without grabbing a book because, man, Thank you, Jesus. Uh, Father God, I just, I just thank you for this life that you have given us. I thank you for the call on every, one, every person in this room. I thank you for your glory, Lord. I thank you for your presence in our life. Uh, Lord, I just pray right now that you would reveal the bad fruits to those of us who need revealing and you will reveal the good fruits to those of us who need revealing that we have good fruits too. Show the pathway. Lord, I just pray right now that the pathway to your will would be evident to every person in this room, Lord. I bless you now because God already approves of who you are right now. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. If you guys want to come up and be prayed for, just come up and be prayed for. And uh, if you need to get your kids, go get them. And I'll be in the back after. And if you guys want to come on up for prayer, just thank Ryan again. Um, if you want to sow into Ryan's ministry, too, you can throw checks up here. They're going to start traveling around and sowing the message into people and what they're doing with their book. Get back there for the book sales. I don't really know how to dismiss the service, so you guys can stay, you can go. Uh, if you want to hang out for a little bit, just get prayer, soak for a bit. We love all of you, and we'll see you next week. Get here early next week. We love you. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit our website at presenceoc.org to find out more about Presence Church.